Well, needless to say, it's great to be back with you again, and I, I really appreciate y'all showing up. And um, I just got in from uh, uh, England last night and uh, had a privilege of a lifetime to be able to spend two weeks at Oxford in an intensive course with uh, 11 other people, some from Criswell College and then two others from Midwestern. And uh, we got to visit, or I got to study with a professor who is at uh, Greens College, one of the colleges there over in Oxford. And uh, it was, it gave us a taste of how they do education in um, England and more specifically at Oxford. And that was a challenge, and that was a new experience, and uh, uh, enjoyed it, but it was really tough. It was humiliating, uh, but it was, uh, it was a great experience. You w- learn your most important lessons through pain and suffering, and therefore, we, it was a great introduction to the uh, lesson that we've got. Uh, the other highlight is I got a chance to have uh, lunch with Will Lanier, who is over there at University uh, College at Oxford, and uh, he was there still in transition, kind of wrapping up uh, the semester, and uh, they, Mark and his family hadn't gotten over there yet, and so he was there, I was there, we got to hook up for lunch, and that was just really a highlight. That was really, really great. Got a text message from Mark this morning, they're in Switzerland, and he wanted to send his greetings and tell you that he misses you, they're having a great time, and, but he is looking forward to be back with you a couple weeks, and I just told him that we would... Uh, I would give him your greeting. So uh, it, uh, again, it's a privilege that he asked me to uh, teach and to fill in for him uh, today, and uh, I appreciate it uh, very, very much. Uh, on some of your handouts, of course, you can immediately look and say, wow, you know, this is pretty thin compared to the ones we're used to. Um, so if his, if, his, if his hands outs are so thin, how come he still takes the whole time to talk? Well, I don't know. We're still trying to reconcile that. I'm going to work on that today. But, um, but there's your handout. And some in there you may see Paul and suffering, and some you may see pain and suffering. In fact, I had Paul and suffering on the handout, but I had pain and suffering on my, uh, on my uh, PowerPoint, and so I was getting those two mixed up. I, when I... Uh, when, uh, when, uh, Mark emailed me to see if I could fill in. I said, well, hey, is, is there anything in particular that you want me to kind of stick with? And he said, and he gave me some suggestions, and this was one of them. And so we're going to look at today the subject of Paul and suffering in the sense of what he has to say about suffering, and specifically what he has to say about pain and suffering. So it all kind of works in there together. Paul had quite a bit to say about suffering. He suffered a lot. He suffered a lot physically. He suffered a lot emotionally. He suffered a lot spiritually. I mean, he was an expert on suffering. And he has some insights on suffering. Because you know what? Every single one of us suffer. Because that's something that all of us are going to uh, experience, is suffering. Is there anybody in this room right now that you have never suffered anything in your life? If you hold up your hand, I'm going to get everybody to look at you because we all want to see you. In fact, I'm going to ask the camera to put you up on the screen because there's no one on the face of the earth that has not experienced suffering to some degree. Now, we can very easily look at somebody down the road and think either, wow, how come it just seems like everything they touch turns to gold and they never seem to go through tough times? Or we can look at someone else down the road and say, you know what, it just seems like nothing ever works out for them. 
And depending on where we are on that continuum, we can say, boy, you know, there are so many more people that suffer far more than I do. Or we can say, you know what, why does it seem like there's so many people in the world that seems like they get a break so much more than I do? It just depends on where we are. I just kind of, am I on there? Uh, it just depends on where we are in life as far as how we're going to view what we're going through in life and how much and to what degree we're suffering. But it's good to go to the Word of God and see what the Apostle Paul had to say about suffering because he says in Philippians 3.8, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now there's several things in that verse that I think are just really... Uh, 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 fascinating. First of all, he says he counts it, uh, he counts um, all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. He said, in other words, in anything that I lose in the process of knowing Christ, I'm willing to lose it. I, I, I'm willing to give it all up for knowing Christ. He says, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. Notice he didn't say some things. He said all things. I mean, we could very easily, if we were the, uh, uh, the combative type, if we could have Paul, we could have a conversation with him, we could say we, all things, and that kind of uh, overstating it a little bit. You've lost all things. And Paul could honestly say, I've lost my reputation, you know, because he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews and studied under Gamaliel, well-educated, had a great pedigree, had a, probably a great future in the leadership within Judaism. He lost all that. That all uh, uh, left him. He lost the trust of some people. In fact, remember when he first came to Christ, there were, even the Christians said, I don't trust this guy. I don't know. He'd lost his, uh, his money. He'd lost, he, I think he really lost his health. I mean, when we see a little bit later on about everything he went through, when he describes it in one of his uh, epistles, the man must have looked a wreck to see Paul with everything he went through. But more than that, I count all things in loss of the view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If I can have stuff or I can have Christ, I'll give up the stuff every time. Every time. Now, you remember last time I shared with you about how God has a way of moving us and speaking to us in circumstances to be able to tell someone about Christ. Well, you know, I'm a slow learner. And so when I was coming back from England, pretty intense two weeks, a lot of papers to write. My papers were literally shredded by the professor. You always know that it's not going to be good when he says... Especially he's Scottish. He's from Scotland. And he says, the good things I'm not going to point out to you, but all of the bad things I'm going to make note of. <laughs> you know it's going to be a long day. And he really kept his word. And just, I mean, I came out and said, man, I, I thought I was a pretty good writer, but man, you know. And so, you know, through that, you know, a lot of reading, a lot of research, pretty intense. Everybody was on edge, you know, until that last paper was handed in. And I was thinking, man, I just can't wait to that last paper. Last paper I hand in. I go in there and I sit for him. And what does he say? 
Scott, I believe this was probably the worst paper of them all. <laughs> so when I got on the plane to come back, I wanted to get on and not talk to anybody. I wasn't praying for a witnessing opportunity. I wasn't like Paul, oh, I count all things as loss that I may gain you and make you known to some unfortunate soul. I wasn't praying that. I was thinking about getting on there and, and get on that plane and putting on my headphones and getting my own little world and reading a little bit, praying maybe it'd be an empty seat next to me, you know. You know, get in there. Just, I wanted my space, I wanted my time, I wanted to be, you know, just kind of to myself. I wanted to, to, to defrag, you know, some. So I get on the plane, and of course you know that you're there, and well, I didn't get my first uh, request. A guy comes sitting in, I mean, he was like the last one on too, and I was thinking, boy, you know, hey, it's going to be a good day, going to be a good, good day. And then boom, he comes in, sits beside me and all, and he was a big fellow at that. Um, anyway, so, I, and then I'm, so then I'm sitting there, and of course, then I'm waiting for him to get all the announcements out of the way. Yeah, I know how to put on the life jacket. Yeah, I know what to do. Of course, if it, heaven forbid that ever happened, because I would forget every single thing that I'd ever seen on the flight, but I'm sitting there waiting, waiting, and they get past that, because I wanted them to start rolling the, you know, the thing so I could start looking at what movies, you know, I might be able to watch. So anyways, the time comes, we're up in the air, we're going on, I take out my headphones, I'm getting ready, and I'm looking, and I picked out the movie, yeah, that's a pretty clean movie, I think I can watch that one, okay, so, and I plug my headset in, and it doesn't work. <laughs> the only stinking jack on the entire plane that doesn't work, and I got it. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do for nine hours? And you know, it was like that little voice said, do you want me to suggest some things? <laughs> I could suggest some things. Maybe read the Bible. How about that? Maybe go over your lesson so you know what you're going to be saying tomorrow. Maybe work a little bit more on the PowerPoint, you know. Or maybe even get to know the man next to you. So... I got to know the man next to me and always have an advantage. And I guess the one advantage we have as preachers is that whenever we say, well, what do you do? And we can pour a lot of attention into what they do, knowing that sooner or later they're going to ask us what we do. And we go, well, you know what? It just so happens. And, of course, I shared. And what I found was that people are very comfortable talking about pastors and churches and even God. And we asked me what I did, and I went over there, and I said, well, you know, it's out of Acts 17, and I was talking about what I'm working on, and, that, you know, what, and I basically started kind of telling them what was in Acts 17. But then when I got to the part about the resurrection, and more specifically Jesus, it was like, I said, it's like I poured fire ants down his pants or something. You know, it's just like he started getting all nervous, and, and I can see that he's wanting to change the subject to get away from that so he could put his headphones on and pretend I'm not there. It's something about Jesus that makes people very uncomfortable. Last hour, I had a chance to be with the college students. We talked on the passage in Luke when Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but there would be trouble. There would, be, there would not be peace. There would be people warring against one another because of my namesake. But here Paul says he was willing to give it all up for Jesus. And the way he lived his life was he was absolutely day in, day out passionate about telling someone about the grace and mercy that he had received. 
But you know, someone else that knew something about suffering, C.S. Lewis, lived from 19, uh, or 1898 to 1963. And, and the, the, one of the exciting things that we got to do is uh, we got to go to the college, uh, Maudlin. It's, it's spelled Magdalene, but it's Maudlin. They say it Maudlin. And, uh, and that's where he taught for 29 years. He was a professor of classical literature. He was an atheist for, for uh, about half of his life. And it was through the witness of J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote uh, the, uh, Lord of the Rings, the trilogy and so forth, that it was his consistent witness to Lewis that eventually Lewis gave his life to Christ. It was about 30, uh, early 30s and came to Christ. And then became known as a great Christian writer, philosopher, theologian, apologist for the Christian faith in his writings. Of course, wrote Narnia and, the, and, and had the biblical truths that he wanted to be able to convey. Narnia, was, it was really exciting to go to the, the uh, Eagle and Child, which was the restaurant where J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis would go and they would sit with their band of friends and they would talk about what they were writing and what they were reading. And there's this little room there where they had the pictures up on the wall. We got to go eat there and we we're looking up at the pictures. Right, That's where they used to sit. And that was pretty exciting. But in 1940, in the midst of the World War, they asked C.S. Lewis to write a book on pain and suffering or the problem of pain. Because, you know, they were experiencing it, the problem of pain. I mean, they had the constant threat of bombings from the Nazis and, 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 and oppressive. And here they are on this island, and there's nowhere to run. And it could seem like they're about to be overrun. And they were suffering. And families were in turmoil. If you remember, in fact, if you remember the, uh, uh, in the, the Chronicles of Narnia, the beginning, when the children are being put on the train to be sent off to family members or to others. Get them out of the city because the city's going to be bombed. And they want, to, they want them to be saved. So it was, uh, it was thrilling to go and see the place where he taught. And there's the inside. I mean, everything in there is so beautiful. I mean, it's amazing to put your hand on a wall that is older than your country. You know? I mean, these colleges were started in the 1200s. And, and they're still standing, you know? And... Uh, um, so it was just exciting to go there. So you're going kind of in the inner courtyard or the first courtyard. That was like their, their big deal. Literally, they manicure the grass because that's their first impressive sight when they walk in, you know, that, that this manicured grass here, and that's called the courtyard. And so we just walk in here. That's one of the uh, buildings over here where the president lives. Uh, there we go, I think, right there. No, it doesn't work. Okay, but the president lives up there in uh, one of those uh, on the second floor. And, uh, and his office is up there. There's the chapel. How about that chapel? That's the outer part of the chapel. There's the inside of the chapel. And, of course, they've got all this ornate structure. And just think, C.S. Lewis was walking in there. We go in there. That's the inner court and uh, the hallways where the students would all walk. And I remember the, the, the friend and I, uh, his name was Steve, and we're walking. He said, can you believe C.S. Lewis walked right here, you know? I mean, this is where he walked, you know? There's some guy that was standing in front of a window, and we kept following us around, and we finally... Just took a picture of him and tried to get rid of him. Um, and there's the, old, there's the new building. That's the new building. And on the second floor, about halfway down, is where C.S. Lewis lived. And he would uh, look out the back, and there were deer running around in the back and so forth. But uh, it was just thrilling. that They call it the new building. It was, I think, built in like the 1600s. You know, so it was a, but that's new for them. But what did... 
C.S. Lewis know really about pain and suffering? He was asked to write a book. He was a bachelor for most of his life. In fact, he was only married three years. He was an atheist for half of his life. But what did Lewis really know about suffering? He's a, a professor of literature, classical. Well, he knew about suffering when he married Joy. Joy was uh, an American, uh, a Jew, who had uh, trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. She was also an intellectual, wrote poetry. Uh, they, they were certainly a, uh, they were soulmates, uh, ultimately, because intellectually they had so much in common as well. When she came to in, uh, England with her two boys, had uh, suffered through a very, very difficult first marriage and it was ended in divorce. But when she was going to have to go back to the States because she couldn't stay, C.S. Lewis, who had befriended her first as an intellectual counterpart, to keep her and her boys from having to go back, he married her. But for a long time, they lived separately. But then eventually, uh, he got a position at Cambridge and he still lived out at the, what's called the Kilns, and that's where she lived. She and the boys lived. But at three years into their marriage, she died of bone cancer. And C.S. Lewis talked about fear because he wrote a book called Grief Observed. And it's just a little thin book. And it was a, basically, he wrote it under a pseudonym, didn't, not even his own name, and didn't even use Joyce's name. He used H, which was her first name to represent joy, but he talks and chronicles his suffering and the pain of the grief that he was experiencing. He said, no one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. And you think about the grief process, that not only are you grieving over the one that, you've, that you love, and, and, and such an intense love came between Joy and C.S. Lewis in just those three years, and, and so not only have you lost the one that you love, but you're uncertain about the future. You know, when his life seemed to take this major turn when he was in his 30s, and then another major turn when he'd been single most of his life, he gets married in his 50s, and then he's only with her for three years and he loses her, it brought fear and confusion. The Apostle Paul talked about fear. Because when we talk about pain and suffering, fear is one of the things that we experience and when we, that we suffer from and we agonize over. He said, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, the Apostle Paul this is the guy who said, greater is he that's within you than he is in the world. And also said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is Paul saying this. And yet he's talking about coming to a bunch of worldly Corinthians saying that he came in fear and in trembling. Now, we don't know exactly what brought that about. We don't know if maybe he was ill or, uh, you know, he was still suffering from uh, the physical, uh, uh, some physical problems, and, and he was just not healthy, and so therefore he's coming, he's trembling, he's shaking, but he specifically says fear. And what was he afraid of? Why was he fearful? This is the man who could take on the world, and many times did. But he talked about fear and trembling. 
Lewis again said, part of every misery is, so to speak, the misery's shadow or reflection. The fact that you don't merely suffer, but you have to keep on thinking about the fact that you suffer. Is it any wonder why C.S. Lewis was just so appreciated? I mean, he can say so much in, in so few words. I not only live each, each endless day in grief, but live each day thinking about living each day in grief. Some of you have experienced grief. Some of you have lost a spouse. Some of you have lost a child. Some of you have lost someone dear to you, a mother, a father, a friend. And you know what? I bet you, can, you know what this is saying right here. It's not just grief, but it's also knowing that each day you're going to have to be thinking about the grief that you're going through. It's a very complicated thing to endure. But not only does he bring fear, or what, not only does the suffering involve fear and the pain of fear, because fear is a very real thing. It can incapacitate you. And there's all sorts of things that we can be fearful of. We can be fearful of being misunderstood. We can be fearful of a lack of security we can be fearful of being alone we can be fearful of a number of things and everyone's fear is not necessarily exactly the same and so it's not good for us to ever put down somebody else's fear oh you shouldn't be afraid of that well that's no big deal you shouldn't be you know i remember when my children when we'd be in the pool when they were very young and we would sit there and and they would jump, and I'd hold out my hands. And sometimes they'd be hesitant. You know, they'd get right down, you know, right onto the edge, and they'd get ready to jump. And they're, and you know, they want to jump. They want to so bad. And I'm right there, and I got my hands out. They know that I'm not going to drop them, but it's just overcoming that fear. It, it never helped for me to say there's nothing to be afraid of. They still had to just go through that process of eventually taking that jump. But somebody else's fear may not be as pronounced in one particular thing as what someone else's might be. But not only are we fearful, but we can we suffer depression. There are those who suffer depression because of a chemical imbalance. And you know what? Uh, I think just like in everything else and things that we deal with, whether you've got a, a cold or a, uh, an infection of some sort or you have uh, uh, something that needs to be operated on or whatever it is, we know God can heal everything and anything. But sometimes he uses other means to bring about his healing. And sometimes there's people that have a chemical imbalance that they've got to have medication, but that's obviously very real and, and a, 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 a terrible thing to have to, to endure. But then sometimes it can be brought on by just past experiences or um, mis dreams, unfulfilled hopes, the reality that you know, things may not turn out like you'd always hoped that they would be. Or I, depression is so complicated, I'm not even going to try to be able to say I'm diagnosed, but it's just a real thing because people, many, many people face depression. Would you believe that even Paul knew what it was like to be depressed? He's the one that said, be filled with the Spirit. Remember, he was the one that says, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. 
But look what he says. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he uh, was comforted in you. As he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. Do you, you see that, what Paul's saying? Read those words. Sometimes we'll have a, a, a passage that we're familiar with, we'll just kind of read over it real quickly. You know, oh, oh yeah, I, yeah, I remember this one. Yeah, this, he kind of talks about this here. But let's read those words. But God who comforts the depressed. He's acknowledging that human beings, we can be depressed. We can suffer depression. We can have our good times, but sometimes we can have our low times. It's part of being human. And God knows how to comfort the depressed. And He comforted us by the coming of Titus. So Titus comes walking in. They're apparently in some sort of, whether they're depressed or just lonely or scared or whatever it may be, but they're in some sort of a situation where Titus was able to come and comfort them. They were in need of comfort, right? And how did Titus do it? Not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. Do you see the chain reaction happening here? There are some folks that comforted Titus and encouraged Titus. And Titus now is, is lifted up. Uh, remember how the, the Apostle Paul is the one who says, consider others as more important than yourselves. He says, build up one another. Encourage one another. Paul would not waste his time saying things to people that were not necessary. It is part of our responsibility as Christians to recognize and acknowledge when someone's going through a difficult time and be an agent of God to be able to encourage that person. It is not our role to just simply heap more on the person saying, come on, get yourself out of this. What's wrong with you? That's not what Paul had in mind. Titus was encouraged by these people. Titus comes along, and now he comes into the company of Paul's, Paul and his associates, and what is he able to do? He's able to comfort because he, in turn, had been comforted. And then what does Paul said, say? He says, and morning, uh, your zeal for me. Then when Titus told Paul, hey, there's some folks over here that are just longing to see you and they think of you all the time and they love you. That Paul now is writing back to them, the Corinthians, and saying, I can't tell you what that meant to me to know that you cared. That's Paul. That's the giant of the faith. That is the greatest missionary the world has ever known. That is the guy who was wanting to stamp out and crush the church that had a radical conversion and then ended up writing over half the New Testament. That is Paul that is saying those words. Paul is saying, you know what? I can't tell, what, I can't tell you what it meant to me to know that you cared about me and that you had an encouraging word for me. If ever there was someone who said, you know what? You just got to have this supernatural ability to rise above any circumstance that will come your way and, 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 and not be weak and, and not be, uh, uh, you know, showing your weak side, your vulnerable side, we call it. 
Look what C.S. Lewis said. Talk to me about the truth of religion and I'll listen gladly. Talk to me about the duty of religion and I'll listen submissively. But don't come talking to me about the consolations of religion or I shall suspect that you don't understand. Lewis is saying, don't come to me with your trite little answers. Well, it'll all be okay. Don't come to me with your little answers saying, you know, God has a plan. You know, the most sensitive things that we can do as Christians sometimes to help those who are hurting and suffering and maybe depressed and grieving is to just simply come and take a seat beside him and say nothing just to let them know I love you and I care about you. That's what Lewis is saying. When he was suffering over the grief of losing joy, he didn't, even though he believed that God was in control, he believed in the sovereignty of God, he's now a Christian, there's not an issue about that, but he's saying, look, don't come to me giving me these trite little answers because I'm just going to immediately suspect you just don't understand. And until you have someone who understands that's when now you open your heart to what they may have to say, if they have anything to say. Look what Hebrews 4 tells us. The writer of Hebrews says, Since, we, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the, the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. We've got someone who made it, someone who got through it. But he understands, he's sympathetic because he's been tempted in every way. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. You might say, well, you know what, I, I know you're talking a lot about, you know, what suffering brings, fear, depression, and so forth. But what do we do about it? Right there is what the Bible tells us to do. Draw near to Him. Isn't it interesting, too, that the, the Word of God also says that draw near to God and He will draw near to you. There's something in that process of saying, God, I just need you. God, I just, I just need to be close to you. I need your help. And God is faithful to draw near. But you know what? Even Lewis was talking about the fact that there were times when he felt like he was knocking on heaven's door and there was no answer. Do you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember what Jesus prayed? Father, if there's any other way remove this cup from me. And then he immediately said, but not my will, but yours be done. Do you remember when he was on the cross? And he said, why hast thou forsaken me? Can you imagine the Savior, the Son of God saying in two instances, Father, if there's another way to accomplish your will, your perfect will, please remove this cup from me. And then another time when he's in the midst of the most incredible suffering and pain on the cross, he says, 
Why do I feel like you've left? Why do I feel like you're not even listening? Why? That's the Son of God expressing real human emotions there. Go back to what the Word of God says when He says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. What that is saying is that if you you feel that you are a big enough person, you know what, I can handle this on my own, you know what God will do? (laughs) Thank you, you said it better. Yeah, He'll let you. Okay? But if you draw near to Him in humility, acknowledging your needs, your frailty, your humanity your pain, your suffering, your agony. It says He will draw near to you. With the cause of Christ, with the cause of Paul, sometimes in the sufferings that we endure, it is a matter of learning what it means to trust the Lord even when you cannot see the answer right away. You cannot see the relief coming right away. That it is building within us even more trust in Him for future times and future things that we might have to go through. But he has said that we may find grace to help in time of need and His mercy. What about physical suffering? I misspelled that, didn't I? Okay, let's go right on. Didn't you see it? Okay. 2 Corinthians 11. I was going to say, what's wrong with that? (laughs) I know what some of you are saying. Yeah, Uh, I can see why your papers were ripped up. Yeah, (laughs) you just told on yourself. Physio? What's physio? Pizio, pizio, whatever, yeah, that's it. Are they servants of Christ? This is Paul speaking. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. Now, why would he say that? Because when you read what he's about to say, it's almost like you're saying, well, Paul, why are you laying out all your qualifications here? Okay, well, are you bragging about what you went through? You know, sometimes we, we have little tolerance for a person that wants to be able to defend themselves to you, right? But Paul's doing that. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews... 39 lashes. Now, can we just camp out on that for just a second? Five times he was beaten with 39 lashes. You know, there's a, there is no amount of, skin, of scar-diminishing cream that's going to help you after you've been through that. I mean, I can't even imagine what his body looked like, even when it healed from that, supposedly. I can't imagine what he looked like. 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now, I don't exactly know what he was thinking right there because he just said he'd been beaten without number, but then he told us how many times, but I guess he's remembering. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, uh, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've uh, I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, apart from such external things. There is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. I cannot imagine, I can't imagine that much suffering. 
And then on top of that, he's got the emotional suffering because he loves the churches and cares for the churches so much and he knows what they are capable of. He knows that there is an enemy out there that goes about like a roaring lion looking for those that he might devour. He knows that there's a wolf out there. There are wolves in sheep's clothing and they work their way into the church only for the purpose of leading the sheep astray. So he's concerned about the churches, but he's been through all of this torment, all of this torture. So he understood what physical pain is. And some of you, I know, have suffered with physical pain. Physical pain. Either arthritis or some chronic pain that you just cannot get rid of. And the only thing that sometimes brings you comfort is knowing that one other person went through it. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he prayed for it to be removed, and God said, my grace is sufficient, that my grace and mercy will get you through even this. But what about loneliness and betrayal? Have you ever experienced something in your life sometimes where it's kind of like this picture here? You feel totally alone, but there's blue skies all around you. You feel so alone and isolated, but it just seems like the world is just going on without you. Paul understood what that was like. Everybody in this room knows what it's like to have someone fail you. Someone maybe close to you, maybe once a friend, maybe still a friend because you found it in your heart to forgive the person. But everybody knows what it's like to have someone fail you and betray you. The Apostle Paul knew what that was like. In 2 Timothy 4, he said, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark. You remember who Mark was? Mark went with Barnabas because Paul and Barnabas had a dispute over Mark because Mark had kind of bailed on him on the first one, on the first missionary journey. Mark didn't want to take, I mean, uh, Paul didn't want to take Mark. Barnabas said, I think we need to give the guy a second chance. Mark, uh, Paul says, you can, I'm not. And they went their separate ways. And there was a breach in the relationship. But somewhere along the way, that relationship had been restored and had been brought back together. What did he say? Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Isn't that great? But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left in Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Why would he want the parchments? Why would he want the books and the parchments? To continue to study the Word of God because that's what transforms the soul. And he was in need, even as an apostle, even as one that God used to write the Bible. He still needed God's Word to be able to reassure him and to encourage him. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did, much, did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At, at my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Look at that. He found forgiveness in his heart. Sounds a lot like the words of Jesus when he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Sounds also like the words of Stephen when he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished 
and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. Because he experienced forgiveness. He experienced the forgiveness of God when he was saved. He experienced what forgiveness was like to forgive someone else who had betrayed him and let him down. And a lot of the pain... Did I spell, misspell something? What? The problem is I don't even see what was wrong with that one, so I'm, I'm really tired. Okay. But forgiveness. Thank you. Please forgive me. Um, this is important because this is actually part of the recovering from pain and suffering. There's a lot of people, Christians and otherwise, who are suffering a lot in their lives because they have not forgiven. They're holding on to an offense. They're holding on to a betrayal. They're holding on to a disappointment. They're holding on to somehow when someone has let them down or disappointed them or sinned against them and they won't let it go. In Colossians 3, Paul says, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You have to put aside the anger, the wrath, the malice that sometimes we can hold on to and it incubates in our hearts. And all it does is grow roots and takes us captive. And we're in bondage to it. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. What he's saying is here, he says, look, whether you realize it or not, whether you were a bad person or not, whether you came to Christ when you were young or when you were old, when God forgave you through Jesus Christ, He forgave you of a lot. You were an enemy of his. You might say, well, I never hated God and I always kind of believed in him. No, 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 no. When you were in sin, you were an enemy of God, the Word of God says. But you were forgiven and he did all the work. And he says, so, the moment that you begin to think that there's someone who's done something to you so bad that you are off the hook to forgive them, Paul is saying, I just want you to remember how much God forgave you for. The moment that you begin to think, well, this person, yeah, but they, hey, you know, when, 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 Paul, when, when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus said, you know, 70 times 7, or 70 times 70, you know, he said, okay, well, in other words, lose count, 490 times, lose count of how many times. You know what? Never come to the point where you say, yeah, but that's got to be at least 495, so I don't have to forgive now. I'm past the point now. I don't have to forgive. Because Paul says, remember what God forgave you for. Now the points for home. We also have to realize that whenever we endure pain and suffering, 
that some that we are in a spiritual battle. It's not always going to be physical. It's not always going to be just because of an, a relationship that has not turned out like we'd expected or somebody has let us down. It's not only because of the inward fears that we, we suffer. But you know what? There is a devil and he comes against us. And in Ephesians 6.12 it says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You cannot leave out the all-important aspect of spiritual warfare in your life. And you, as a believer, are not equipped to go through this life as a lone ranger. You have got to draw near to God, even when you don't feel like it. That's the first step in being able to find uh, peace in the midst of suffering. You've got to stay in His Word, because that's how He instructs you through suffering. And you've got to stay in the company of other believers and not become isolated. Because while there are some, that will hurt you. They will... You can bank on it that Christians are eventually going to hurt you. But there's also those that the Holy Spirit has a hold of that God will use to what? Encourage you. So don't become an island. That, that is the first mistake you can ever make. But as we've looked at the teachings of Paul when we considered Paul on suffering, pain and suffering, pain is a part of life. We have, and then you might say, well, that's kind of trite. No, 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 that's pretty significant. When you are going through pain and when the devil is feeding all these lies, you've got to take the mind captive, you've got to take every thought captive and you've got to remind yourself, pain is a part of life. Jesus himself said, look, they hated me, they're going to hate you because of me. But pain is a part of life. You're not ever going to live a painless life. And when the moment we start to look at someone else and say, well, their life seems so good, we don't know about the pain that they suffer that we may never hear about. But pain is a part of life. Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul actually said that it was a discipline of his that he desired to experience the fellowship of, of Jesus' sufferings. To be so connected with Jesus that he understood what it was like to suffer and to, go th and to get through it. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Paul said, Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? In other words, he said, it's absurd to think that a pot made here on the potter's wheel would say, I don't like what you made me into. I don't like your work. He says, why should we say to God, I don't like what you're doing here? God's plans and ways are greater than ours. God's plans and ways are greater than ours. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Look at this next one. I love this line. Or who became His counselor? Now, there's lots of people who've tried he says, who's become his counselor? Or who has, the first, who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? There's nobody in this room that's ever going to go to God and say, now God, do you remember you owe me? <laughs> Can you imagine? You owe me? God said, I owe you. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
No, there's nobody that's been his counselor, and there's nobody that's given anything to God first that he didn't already have that he's already given you. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And as the word amen says, it means so be it. So be it. So I hope from Paul's words, not anything I've said, but from Paul's words, number one, that today we've just simply taken a little journey of being reminded that pain is a part of life and we cannot escape it. That God is sovereign. And if He's sovereign and if He's he's ordained something, then He has the resources when you draw close to Him to get you through that time. That we also understand that this life has many trials and many troubles and many difficult times. And you know what? Until we die and go to be with Christ forever, we will suffer and we will experience pain. It is inescapable. But we can have the courage and the mercy and the grace to get through it. And finally, reminding, uh, being reminded from Paul that when you consider what God is accomplishing and how He's allowed us to be a part, however many years we live on this planet Earth, that His ways are unsearchable. And it's from Him and through Him and to Him everything belongs. I think when we we remind ourselves of that, then we will be able to say, like Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's right. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for reminding us today about a reality of life. Thank you, Lord, for also reminding us that when we go through trials and when we go through suffering, it always has a purpose. It's never escaped your attention and you will give us the grace and the mercy to get through it if we draw near to you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will enable us to endure trials and pain in this life in a way that not only ultimately brings peace in our own hearts, but ultimately brings glory to you. Because you're worth it, Lord. And we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you have a great week. Thank you all.